0: Welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Larry Wilmore, and you are listening to Black on the Air. So happy to have you I'm here this week. A little bit of a departure this week uh, for my sports fans. This show is I'm talking to the great Stephen A. Smith, uh, co host of First Take, uh, and he has a new show on ESPN Plus called Stephen A.'s World. And of course he has a weekly show in Sports Center as well. Stephen A is a great guy. Um love talking to him. <laughs> and uh we talked uh, earlier this week uh during a break in uh in his time just to catch up with him and what's going on. So it's kind of kind of a sports talk. So those of you that are into sports and stuff, this one is for you guys. You know, I do this now and then, I let you guys know when I'm gonna do it. So I know some of you out there aren't really <laughs> sports people, but Stephen A is a really interesting guy. He really is. Um, and it's more than just sports. We kind of use the sports world to talk about some issues and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, he's, he's got some great thoughts and things. I, I've been a big fan of his for a long time. Uh, so I thank him for being on the show. I wish him the best with his show. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life, with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. This has been an emotional week, you guys. So emotional. So many things going on. I have a family member who's dealing with COVID, and the whole family has been, uh, of course, engaged in this. And it's, uh, it's, it looks like everything's going to be okay. But man, it's been an up and down week. And I appreciate, you know, friends and family and everybody just with all their thoughts and everything, prayers, all that kind of stuff. Really appreciate it. And I want to send out my comforting thoughts and prayers to, you know, all of you guys that need it. We all need it right now, man. We all need, uh, some positive energy. We're not out of this COVID thing yet. Thank God the vaccines are here, but people are still are still not just catching it, but um, you know, dying from it and everything. And it can happen so fast. A friend of mine, you guys know that I'm into magic. It's one of my hobbies. <laughs> so I can complete my black geek profile, as I like to say. But um I was into sports too. I wasn't just I wasn't like just a black nerd, you guys. I was also I was also a jock. I I'd like to say I was well rounded, is what I'd like to say. And I was really good too. So there you go. <laughs> but anyhow. Magic has been a love of mine for a long time, sleight of hand especially, that type of thing. Many of you know I'm a member of the Magic Castle, that kind of thing. One of my buddies from the Magic Castle, um, I found out, just passed away to COVID. He wasn't a very old gentleman. I'm sure he was close to my age. I actually didn't know how old he was, but I've known him for years. We used to stay very late, you know, just hanging out, jamming, that kind of stuff. He was the nicest, sweetest guy. and um he, this is how fast it happened. A little over a week ago, he he knew that he was positive, I think. Symptoms started getting worse on the weekend, and I think he went to the hospital, and by Thursday he was gone. I mean, that's crazy, you guys. That's just nuts. And many people out there have experienced a lot of these types of stories. The worst of them, of course, are when you have loved ones that you can't be in contact with. and. They end up, uh, you know, being alone for their last few days. I just want you to know my heart goes out to everybody that's dealing with this. We've talked about this for a while and uh, we're not out of the woods yet, you know. So be careful out there, you guys. Be safe. And let me just say, get vaccinated, <laughs> you know, if you can, if you, if it's your turn or, as they said, if you have the opportunity Get vaccinated. You know, I'm not saying jump the line or take vaccinations away from someone else, but if you're given the opportunity, and especially if you're in a high risk group, get vaccinated. But please, my fellow black people, minorities, people of color, people who may traditionally be afraid of the vaccine or that sort of thing, don't get the vaccine. If there are adverse reactions, just keep in mind, even if you have not the best reaction to the vaccine, it's better than not the best reaction to COVID. Okay. So think of that if you're a bit afraid of it or, or anything, because you're not going to get COVID from the vaccine, but you will get COVID from COVID. I know that sounds ridiculous. And I know I've made fun of this and everything, you know, you know, usually for jokes and that type of thing. And rightly so, you know, black people, we've had a healthy <laughs> skepticism about, you know, Things going into our arms from the government, everything from Tuskegee, you know, to all kinds of things. And I even said this warp speed. I'm not sure if black people should trust it. I mean, warp speed. Why are they naming it after Star Trek? (laughs) Like that thing on Star Trek where the brother was always the first one to die when they go down to the planet. If you're trying to get black people to be on board with this, why are you naming it warp speed? You know, it's like, that's how fast we're going to be dying from it. That was a joke. It was a joke I made. I say it in jest and I'm talking about black skepticism which there's nothing wrong with being skeptical about government intentions and wanting to be making sure that what's going into your arm is safe. But it appears that this is safe and it is your safest thing that you can do right now. So I'm encouraging everybody, as soon as I'm able to get this shot, you know, I'm going to get it. Hopefully, hopefully that I'll be able to get it. You know, um, there's been a lot of problems with it and everything, but I encourage everybody to get it. I'm happy that here in Southern California, the restrictions are being eased up. Um, one thing I've talked about, I haven't, I don't know if I talked about it much here, but I have talked about it with friends privately is, well, I, I lament the fact that COVID became this political football. I think like civil rights, COVID should not be political. This is a human issue. Health to me should always be a human issue. I hate when it becomes a political issue, political football. We can disagree about things, but Jesus Christ, guys, for it to be political, so so insane and a lot of this easing restrictions lifting restrictions all that stuff is just so much political back and forth it just makes people crazy it makes them suspicious it makes all of these things but and I'll tell you one of the things we I feel that we have to do and I know people have different opinions about this we got to find a way to get kids back in the classroom and my sister is a teacher and she's very concerned about it you know from both points of view, she feels kids need to be in the classroom, but she also wants to make sure that the classroom is safe for her. So I get it. I see both sides of it. But somebody's got a lead on this. And the leadership, I think, needs to be a little more forthright. I don't know if we've gotten here in California, at least the leadership that I think we should be getting in this issue because it's been going on too long. Here's the fact. Bad shit is out in the world. COVID is one of the worst things we've had to face in a long time. It's not just about defeating COVID. It's about also about living with COVID. How are we going to live our lives? And by living, I don't mean just staying at home in fear and having this thing control our lives. We also have to learn to live with it. You know, how are we gonna what if this thing stayed around for the next 10 years? <laughs> for Christ's sakes, guys? You know, we don't know, you know. But children have to get educated, you know, people have to earn a living, all of these things have to happen. So We have to do a combination of things, you know, people that are yelling about, you know, thinking masks are taking away their liberty. You're really doing a disservice. You're doing such a big disservice, you know, that that's the hill you're going to die on in terms of liberty is wearing a fucking mask, honestly. And then the other side of it, you can't just completely live in fear, you know, and think that staying at home is going to staying completely at home in isolation is is the issue here because we can't do that. We're doing a lot of harm. We have to find ways to find a way to live with this. And one of those ways is getting kids properly educated in the right environment. And there's a lot of information about this, a lot of science and all that stuff. It's good to follow too. And let me just talk about the whole science thing. There's always these two extremes, (laughs) you know, and I'll talk about the president, for instance. You know, I'm happy Joe Biden is president. Of course, I voted for him. I've said uh, recently, I'm not on the unity train. I think we need to be on the decency train and the justice train and the leadership train, you know, more than anything else. But there's two kind of reactions to COVID. One is, and I think Biden has said this, and I have a slight disagreement with him, not a complete, but a slight disagreement, is let's just listen to the science and do what the science says, okay? And the other side of it, which is the Trump side, is let's just make shit up, (laughs) Let's not listen to the science. Let's just do what feels good and make shit up. Both of those have issues with them. The just make shit up is the easiest thing to pin holes in. Let's just do what makes people feel good about themselves. Of course you can't live like that. You know, yes, we want restaurants to open, but you can't just do it just without any regard to safety and all that stuff just because you feel good and you think it should be done. You know, or be in the public square yelling at people, spitting in their faces because you don't want to wear a mask. Of course, we shouldn't do that. On the other hand, I believe that scientists are there to give us information and not necessarily to prescribe policy. I believe they can advise on policy. But the reason why we have a president and the leaders is because the president should make that final decision about policy itself. That's why he's president. I feel the same way about the military. When leaders say, well, I'll listen to whatever the generals tell me and I'll do that. No, motherfucker. Why do we need you then? Why don't we just listen to the generals? No, your job is to lead, take the advice of generals, but then you make a decision that you think is the best decision to make. Feel like John F. Kennedy, uh, during the, the Cuban Missile Crisis, biggest crisis of his presidency, you know, past the Bay of Pigs. Bay of Pigs was, you know, that botched invasion of Cuba, but the Cuban Missile Crisis could have led us to a nuclear war. Kennedy listened to the advice of the generals, who, by the way, were advising to a full invasion of Cuba, almost like a strike first type of thing. And by the way, there was a lot of support for that too. You know, we didn't even know at the time that Cuba actually had procured some small range, short range uh, nuclear weapons, I believe, which has come out recently, which, you know, we didn't even know contemporaneously. Kennedy listened to that. He's a young president People felt he was inexperienced. He should be listening to the generals. You got to do what they say. They're the generals. Well, he did listen to them. But at the end of the day, he made the decision he felt was the best decision to make from a leadership position. And he played it. He played it right. And it worked out well, thank God. And everything was de-escalated. Now, there are many times when you want to follow the advice precisely. But there are times when the advice is good to to know and to respect, but you may go in a slightly different direction. I wanna make sure that our leaders are leading and not just blindly following the advice of science, which I believe is good. It's very good to have that. But advice is one thing, decision-making is another. Let's make that distinction. You guys know I like to create distinctions. I love clarity. Let's make sure those distinctions are happening. We can, Joe Biden, sorry Joe Biden, you're the president. You don't get to get away with just saying, I'm just going to let, I'm just going to follow the science and whatever, whatever they decide. No, motherfucker, you're the president. Yes, that's good advice to listen to, but you still have to lead. You still have to get out in front and you, you, you still have to make decisions that are not going to be popular, you know, that people aren't going to like, and they may not like you because of it, but that's what leadership is all about. It may be unpopular for what you have to do, but don't put it all in the science lap and, you know. So if something goes wrong, oh, well, I just follow the science. Nigga, just lead. How about that? <laughs> yeah. well, I don't mean to get all upset about that, which I'm really not. But, you know, I'm trying to keep it real, you guys. Keep it 100% real is what I like to do. Okay. Next time I talk to you, I'm going to dig uh, into this whole thing that's going on right now with a lot of this QAnon people who are still sticking around in government and a lot of this underpinnings, but I want to get some more information on it, but I want to talk about that. Also, be sure to tweet me, guys, if you like the podcast, you're enjoying it. Tweet me things that you may want me to cover that uh, you enjoy uh, hearing me talk about and all that kind of thing. Also, if you have guest ideas, always love to hear that. We have some really good guests coming up that I think you'll be excited about and I'm looking forward to. Anyhow, that's it. Be safe, you guys. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your family. Hug your family. Tell them that you love them, okay? We'll be right back with Stephen A. Smith. All right, welcome back, you guys. Man, I have looked forward to this interview for a while now. This man is one of the busiest people working in media. He is, he is already a legend. People have already tried to copy him and emulate his stuff, but they can't because he's one of a kind. He's uh, the co-host of First Take on SportsCenter, also has Sports Tenor, Stephen A. Smith, the weekly show, but he's about to launch... Another show or he actually already has on ESPN Plus. It's Stephen A's World, which you guys have to check out. It's, it's really a cool show. Stephen A. Smith, welcome to Black on the Air, my friend.
1: Larry, it's my honor, man. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a long time coming, you and I rapping.
0: Absolutely. I've tried to get you on the nightly show back in the day. I've been a fan for so long. And let me say this before I start. A lot of you may not know that, well, you may know, but to me, Stephen A. Smith's legacy really starts in radio you know and his uh the way that he connects with fans I should say and I used to take my daughter to ballet practice at a certain time every day and your show when you were here in LA uh your wow. radio show at the end of the show Stephen A would get into his churchy part of the show you know <laughs> 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 where he stood his little sermon and it was like it was always the same at the end of each show where you know it'd be no no no, no! And, and let me just say this, and let me just, <laughs> and, no, 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 no. and my daughter and I shared that, Stephen A. That's something that we shared every day. And I wanted you to know that she wanted me to give you a shout out. Well, uh, I appreciate it, man. The thank show. you. you know, I said really
1: thank you so much, man. Absolutely. I had to calm it down and make sure it's like a roller coaster ride. Yes,
0: exactly. Years exactly. ago, I
1: was doing radio at the beginning of my career in 2005 when I really started doing radio. I came like a bat out of hell. My mentality yes, is, is that. You know, you got to be passionate and this got to be real. But more importantly, if you display your passion, how can you expect someone else listening to be passionate about what you have to say? But the problem was it would be, you know, you doing all the things that you've done. You can relate to this. You can exhaust yourself if you don't know how to pace yourself, pick your spots and whatever. And so really on a day day to day basis, I'd wake up thinking about what I cared most about and what I cared least about. Yes. (laughs) What I care most about, I'd reserve my energy for that and stuff that was relatively meaningless to me, but might have been to some degree meaningful to other people, even though it wasn't as meaningful as those other things. I'd make sure to temper my delivery and my presentation around that in terms of the passion that I I put on display.
0: Yeah. How did... Did your uh, experience as a writer kind of help form the way you became a performer, do you think Stephen A, and the way that you would present
1: a story? Without question because for mm-hmm. me, when I in the general when I came into the journalism business in nineteen ninety three yeah. um I learned very, very early on first of all, it's not about you it's about the people it's about what they right. to, about what they want to hear et cetera that's, et cetera. Right. that's number yeah. one so with my aspiration always wanting to be a general sports columnist. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people don't realize is that when I was named a general sports columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer in 2003, in yeah. 2003, I was the 21st African-American in this nation's history to get that title. What people don't realize about that is that at this is before Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and you know YouTube, all of these other things. What people don't realize is that you aspire to be a general sports columnist if you were covering sports because it gave you the license to editorialize, to opine, and express your opinions. Anything right. less than a columnist, you reported, you feature wrote, you investigated, you know, yes. investigative, but you were not allowed to express your opinion you're unless you were a just,
0: You're you're just a beat writer is pretty much That's what right. it is, right? It's,
1: right. Essentially, but there's different types. You know, feature writers, investigative reporters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you were not allowed to give your opinion. So unless you became a columnist. So that was my aim because there wasn't social media at that time. And so in order to get to that point, you woke up every day thinking about, okay, what was the news, A, and B, what did people want to read about every single day? You had to have a pulse about the kind of stuff that, that people wanted to know. And then once you became a columnist, it was even tougher because now you're asking them, okay, aside from the news, why should they care about your opinion more right. than they care about the else's opinion? Exactly. And so every day you had to wake up doing that. And because I knew how to do that, it was nothing for me to do radio in terms of from an idea perspective, knowing what the subject matters was to broach on a day in day out basis. That part was of no challenge to me whatsoever and never has been in my career because of my foundation that I had built in a newspaper business, knowing that I had to wake up every day for the first 10, 15 years of my career, having a pulse about what people wanted to read about, talk about, hear about, et cetera, that made doing television and radio from an ideas perspective, story idea perspective, far, far easier.
0: Yeah. It's so important because what you do, Stephen A., and I think what the best do is you can't just be a critic, you know, Mm -hmm. like uh, a film critic is separate from a fan, you know, a film critic examines a film. Maybe it might be intellectual the way they break it down. Sometimes it's personal, but it's a sports columnist is different. You're not just critic. You're, you're actually connected to the fans. You're almost representing the fans in some yeah. way, you know, and that connection is very, very important. And it's interesting to see when that connection gets broken or it gets tested.
1: Because unfortunately, people in our business lose perspective sometimes. Sure. You never, never about you more than it's about the fans. Right. But what people realize is that when we say we're a conduit with that umbilical cord that connects the fan to the sports Mm -hmm. world, what I try to make sure the fans understand is that I have no obligation to agree with you. That's right. Right. I have every obligation to broach what you want me to broach. Now that doesn't mean that I have to convey, you know, that I have to agree with it, but I got to make sure you're heard. If the fans are thinking such a thing, I got to make sure I present that to the subject matter at hand. If I'm interviewing a particular player, you know, you talk to LeBron, excuse me, this is what they want to know. You're talking to Steph Curry. This is what they want to know. You're talking to Conor McGregor. This is what they want to know. They want to know. So once they give you an answer, the subjects, how you feel about what they say or whatever is on you. Mm-hmm. But you at least have to address the subjects that the fans want to address. That's where your represent- representation of them begins and ends. It's not for you to think for them in terms of this is how they feel. This is what they want you to say. No, that's right. that might be going a little bit too far. I mean, it ebbs and flows. Some people care. Some people don't give a damn. But the subject right. matter, They still want broached and that's where it starts and stops. And you've got to know that.
0: Yeah. And for anybody that's followed Stephen A long enough has known that you've taken the brunt of criticism from fans and have been able to compartmentalize what that criticism is from your job in a way that I think has been remarkable because, and some of it has been very tough. Like it's been culturally, you've had cultural assaults from people like from the black community and that type of thing over the years. Um, but you've always stayed steady in that. That had to have been tough at some points when you get that type of criticism, Stephen A. For the most part, it's
1: not. For the most part, uh-huh. I truly don't give a damn. I never have. Sure, sure. I, I
0: know you, we say that, and I, and I do believe you, Stephen. I believe you more than anyone, but some of it, it's still got to sting a little bit, right? Let me explain. Sure. Being a
1: journalist, you're taught to come into the business not being concerned about yes. how people feel about you. See, right. I grew up watching Howard Cosell, yeah. Bryant Gumble, Bob Costas, but I also watched uh, Ted Koppel on Nightline. I watched Peter Jennings and Dan Rather on, a- on ABC and CBS. I watched, I watched all of this stuff. I used to watch, I used to enjoy. You might be looking like a, a vampire, Sam Donaldson covering the White House. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know what yeah, I mean, right.
1: I watched that stuff. And yeah. so if you, when you get into the field of journalism, they teach you if you care about what people think about you, mm-hmm. knowing that you're in pursuit of truth, then you're compromised because you yes. can't do your job. As a journalist. So in that regard, that's what I mean when I say I don't care. Yes. But it gets personal to touch on what you're alluding to when folks start questioning your blackness,
0: which is ridiculous,
1: calling me out of my name, calling me a coon, calling me a sellout and stuff like that. Yeah, that 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 gets offensive. And and to be honest, you, I'll confess to you, working for Walt Disney, uh, specifically ESPN, makes it harder, not easier. Because you see, Walt well, Disney's a happy place. Yeah. You know, it's right now, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and it a, where a happy place, and yeah, you know, it's about and I'm like, damn that, you know, somebody say something, you want to fight know. back. And a yeah. lot of times you're discouraged from fighting back because it brings more attention to the issue and therefore the brand you represent, and that's something that they want to avoid if at all possible. Now, they don't stop me. They let me know how they feel about it. But they know that when folks get personal, ain't no stopping me. I will respond when I want to respond. And what I say to that is this. And it's something that goes on in the black community that I honestly believe needs to be more discussed. You've got folks in in in, in our community more so than any other community.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can flow with us ninety nine percent of the time. That's right. You do one thing, that folks <laughs> agree. and it, it, they can't sit up there and say, "Nah, Stephen, they we disagree with that." Nah, yeah. Stephen, they you wrong about that. Now it's a whole, you know, it eradicates every positive thing that you did, mm-hmm. and literally just throws your character out the window. And it's so easy to Mm -hmm. get us, to turn against us, that it's become an incredibly unfortunate thing. I am a proud black man and I love my people. I don't think for all of us, I don't try to think for all of us. What I try to do is to be somebody that's in the front lines and folks know Whatever it takes, I'm ready to do what needs to be done to bring the attention to the right issues, to fight the good fight, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel no obligation whatsoever to agree with everything you say and do locks up. And I don't want you to feel that way about me. Iron sharpens iron, make each other better. Unfortunately, there are so many folks in our community in fairness to them that have been suffering for so long that Mm -hmm. anybody that comes across as remotely desensitized or oblivious to the trials and tribulations we suffer as a community, it's an excuse to completely erase them and completely denigrate them and dismiss them. And it serves to bring us all down. And and I think that that's been a problem uh, with me. I think it's been a a problem with a lot of people before me. And I think it's gonna be a problem for a lot of folks within our community moving forward.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with when uh, people feel like they've been oppressed and that type of thing. Within the group, they look for consensus more than truth. If truth gets in the same Venn diagram as consensus, that's great. But many times consensus becomes more important. And I've always, what I've liked about you and I've done in my own work is I want to keep it a hundred percent real first and then worry about consensus later, you know? Well, listen, and look,
1: when, at, look, at when, look at when you were at the White House correspondence right. and how yeah, you yeah. broke You know, a yeah. lot of people didn't like that. Some of us loved it. I was yes. one of them. It didn't <laughs> yes. bother me. You know, yeah, because the, the, whole, the whole point is it, it's got to be about truth. And you have to have this belief, you know, just yes. like the Bible says, the truth shall make you free. Ain't going to mm-hmm. set you free or make you free. Because in other words, if you know the truth, then you know what to do moving forward. And a lot of times being in the position that I'm in, having the platform that I have, I take it upon myself to make sure that I disseminate a message to alert folks out there in our community as to what's transpiring. So like, for example, if I'm getting on a particular athlete for what he's done, I'm not denigrating him and going off and wishing he fails. Mm -hmm. I'm pissed off at has. I'm pissed off that he put himself in this compromising position that gives them the license to go after them. And I'm saying, wait a minute, protect yourself. Now, if I got your number or whatever, I'll pick up the phone and call you directly and tell you privately. I'll try to safeguard it and just let you know, look, This is what's going to happen if you keep doing this. And I've done that many times in my career. But Mm -hmm. when you're dealing with a lot of professional athletes who have made it and made their millions, a lot of times they don't want to admit it, but they think the money is the answer to everything. I got this money. They can't touch me. There's nothing they can do to me. This money's in the bank. I'm good. And you later find out that money does not give you cover from the shrapnel of of criticism that's going to come your way that will help to humble and shrink you if you are not careful. And so I try to sit up there and do that for them, just like I would want somebody to do for me. Sure. But people are more receptive of it than others, and you, you have to go with that.
0: Yeah, and I appreciated your take. Uh, I should say your takes on Colin Kaepernick during that. And I the reason I appreciate Stephen A. is because you weren't involved in a consensus. You were very honest about your take, and it wasn't always popular, but you weren't wrong. And I was so happy to hear you talk about it because just because Colin Kaepernick is taking a knee for what he believes in, it doesn't mean that everything he, that he's doing, we have to agree with, you know? Yeah. Right. And also because one person, and God bless him for doing what he wants to do. But I also believe, and I'd love to hear you taking this, because one person decides to be an activist. I don't believe every athlete has to be an activist. I don't think it's a requirement, but it feels like people... That that's a requirement now, you know, or that you have to agree with the person who's who's actually engaged in activism while he's playing sports, which is fine if they want to do that. But I don't find that that has to be a requirement. Well, it's amazing.
1: It's amazing. As knowledgeable as so many of us are about our history, yes, how we're so selective in what we choose to remember and recall. Uh, yes. Martin Luther King and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X were not on the same page.
0: Absolutely not.
1: One would argue the Frederick Douglass of the world and the Medgar Evers of the world and the Adam Clayton Powell Jr. of the world, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad of the world and others were not always on the same page. Um, you can look throughout history and see that when you talk about things that affected the black community, folks had the mentality that there were plenty of ways to skin a cat. Everybody didn't see seem to be on the same page. Even the Reverend Jesse Jackson and the Reverend Al Sharpton didn't appear to be on the same page. We understand. but we choose to ignore that when we want to, when our ire is elevated. we're disgusted by certain things and then we want to generalize and castigate and eradicate folks from our own race of people as if any of us have the power to do that. And so you you, you find that to be incredibly unfortunate, but again, It's what comes with it. When we talk about Colin Kaepernick, um, I stood by what I said then. Damn it, I stand by what I say now. I appreciate the position that he took. I'm incredibly thankful that he took that position. But there were also some holes in terms of his strategizing, his planning, what his agenda was, et cetera, et cetera. And when you look at some of the things in the end, the last opinion I gave about him was when they had that tryout. I remember that. Yes. They wanted to try it. As people had reached out to me, they wanted to try it. They wanted to try out. And I found out they were going to have this workout for him. You talked about one team. I knew that I was the first one that went on the air and said, at least 24 teams are scheduled to show up to watch this man work out. I was the one who went on the air and said, 18 of them, personnel individuals from respective teams, 18 of them are going to be black.
0: And this tryout, was, was it uh, set up by the NFL?
1: It was set up by the- Jay-Z had made some noise because Jay-Z decided to do business with the right. national football in terms of their halftime shows and all of this other stuff. Right. People went in an uproar over that. Jay-Z, Jay-Z said, yo, listen, he was in a meeting. They said, we don't need Colin. Look at the quarterbacks we have. Deshaun Watson is black. Patrick Mahomes is black. Russell Wilson is black. Lamar Jackson is black. These are MVP candidates that get paid a lot of the money. They're superstars in the league. We don't need Colin Kaepernick. Jay Z said, "Damn that." Yeah, you do. He said, "You can't. You can't expect me to do business with y'all if y'all are not going to at least give this man an opportunity, a chance to be back in the NFL." And so, as a result, the owners capitulated. They organized, they gave the NFL the go-ahead to organize this workout. The NFL organized it, Larry, because they wanted to cover. The individual teams, wanted right. the individual teams want to cover. Right. But the individual teams... They didn't want to invite him themselves in the workout, and then
0: have to turn him down.
1: If they right. invited him themselves yes. and they turned him down, yes. he could cry racism. Exactly. So they was like, we needed the league as cover. So yes. the league organized it. And I said, look, this is it, man. I mean, not to him, but to his people. I said, this mm-hmm. is it. If you don't do this... Ain't no more chance. This is it. And so when you waited until that Saturday morning and notified them two hours before a scheduled workout that you would operate at a different location, which was not an NFL facility. Instead, it was a high school football field about an hour (laughs) and 20 minutes away and stuff like that. No, no, no. You don't want to play. You don't want to play. This is not about you wanting to play football because this was your best chance. And so a lot of people disagree with that. They talked about the waiver for the NFL and all this other stuff. I said, essentially what you're saying is the NFL couldn't be trusted. You knew that before you said you wanted to try. You knew that before you said you wanted to come back in the league. You knew that before you took a knee. But still, you still insisted you wanted to play football, but you didn't want to capitulate. So Mm -hmm. you didn't want to play. You wanted to be a martyr. Congratulations. We love you. We respect the hell out of you. But when you say you want to play football, that can't possibly be true. While you continue to take these positions, and that was my position, I stood by it then. I stand by it now, and I'm quite sure a lot of people disagree with me. I don't give a damn. I I, I'm a reporter. I'm a pundit. I work for ESPN. I have sources all over the sports landscape. I kind of think I know what I'm talking about. And when I tell you he has a chance, I'm not debating it. I'm giving you facts.
0: Yes, and arguably, he's probably. In a more favorable and stronger position as a martyr expatriate of the NFL, you know, than as someone trying to stay on a team, you know, uh in that position in terms of influence, you know. Sure. Past Kaepernick, you know, we had the George Floyd Summer recently. I'll call it the George Floyd Summer. I don't mean to trivialize it. Was, it, it was you know, question. but you know, it was the spark that ignited seemingly a global, you know, outpouring mm-hmm. of, of support for some of these issues. And We had a clearer intersection of sports and politics. I want to take it not so much in the black-white part of it, but the the issue of sports being blatantly involved in politicizing something, you know. And once again, we come up to a divide where, like, you know, the whole like, and I had some comments about this. I thought some of it was a bit performative, even though I saw, I knew where it was coming from, and I knew. All intentions were good, you know, and I make jokes about it. So when people put on their jerseys, you know, say her name, you know, da da da. It's like, I just want to know who's shooting the ball, you know. Why are all these names of jerseys? Like, uh, where where do you think that is? A lot of it was was kind of anti-Trump too. He had been a foil in some of this, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of the the wanting to, I think, display this was almost an energy against that in some ways too, you know, to some degree anyway it was energy against him. Um, I You know, listen, ESPN
1: doesn't like us getting into politics. And I think that's the right decision because sure. we're not we're not political aficionados. And there's so much that we don't know about policy. Right. But my retort to them was I've never gotten into politics, but I'd gladly get into him. I thought he was disgraceful. And I thought he was disgraceful because of his behavior, without the politics, not getting into the politics at all.
0: Yeah, when he called them sons of bitches, the players. Well, it's in. not just that. It's
1: not just that the divisiveness, uh, the 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 truculent behavior, the belligerence that he exhibited on public display. You know, to me, here's where it hits me, Larry. I cover a business where superstars who are placed with immense pressure to be role models are 20, 25, yes. 30 year individuals. Right. Yes. Okay. But, uh, but, but, and that's because they play basketball or play football or play baseball or box or do whatever on an elite level. Okay. Mm-hmm. So essentially at the end of the day, uh, irrespective of fandom, they really have no impact on that, you know, on your personal life, per se. correct. Right. You can simply take off the channel. You don't have to patronize their brand, their products, right. or anything like that. Right. So you hold them accountable. But a 74 year old man, who happens to be the president of the United States at the time, who has the power to help, to influence raising your taxes, whether it's personal income tax, uh, uh, capital gains tax, you know, property taxes, et cetera, et cetera. He has a direct, I mean, you talk about immigration reform, you talk about health care reform, education reform, the whole bit. This man has the power to directly impact the everyday life of over 340 million Americans. And you hold him less accountable than you hold these athletes. That's offensive to me because right. that just devoid of intelligence. It's devoid of common decency and decorum that comes with everything that we're supposed to be about. And so for me, when I spoke against the president, it was in that regard, not political. It was that it was showing the hypocrisy that you got these guys, all right. And 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 listen, we got golfers that are held less accountable, tennis that are held less accountable, <laughs> you know, hockey players that are held less accountable for basketball and football, which happen to be both over 65-70% Black. We want to hold them accountable. See, those are the kind of things that raises my eyebrow because that's so flagrant, it's undeniable, and something needed to be done about it. And I only say all of that to say, when you talk about the professional athletes, from the days of Muhammad Ali, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, Jim Brown, you know, the list goes on and on, you know, civil rights movement and how Profoundly impactful those dudes were during the civil rights era. Well, now you fast forward to 2021. Yes, there are there's a, a rogue behavior on the part of some police officers, you know, taking out unarmed black people, and that needed to be addressed. That's true. And the George Floyd killing for the world to see, with a cop kneeling on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, knowing the cameras were rolling, and did not care. And stuff like that. It was so flagrant. People needed to stand up and react to that. But the reason why the athletes themselves were so profoundly important in this day and age is because the advent of social media, their connection directly to that fan base, particularly that younger audience, because those are the folks that are on the come up. And any time there's been change, particularly in a a positive direction that has been provoked in our nation's history, it's usually the younger generation that spearheaded so much. And that's why it was so necessary. That's why I applauded the players for taking the actions that they took. But I was also aware they couldn't help it because if there was ever a time they couldn't sit idly by and be silent, it was then.
0: Yeah. And it you're absolutely right. There is more of a direct connection between athlete and fan an athlete in the world, especially via social media and that sort of thing. Uh, Let me ask you this, uh, just one more thing about football and and this Mm -hmm. type of thing. Because, you know, Stephen, I've been a fan of all of these sports. I played sports growing up just like you, you know. Why Why is it taking football so long, it seems like, with having Blacks in, you know, the higher positions in leadership roles? Then basketball has seemed to have done a much better job of it, you know, with coaches and you know, general managers yeah, and those positions, football, are they resistant to it? Is there, is it the culture of it? Yes, they are.
1: The, I would not accuse the commissioner, Roger Goodell, of being resistant to it, Sure. but individual owners, you're damn right. I would, mm-hmm. um, when you are number one, um, when you are no, the number one sports league in America, when you generate in excess of $20 billion a year mm-hmm. in revenue. When you've successfully gone about the business of making your sport in an event, so much so that pastors evolve their sermons around it, <laughs> <laughs> Right, yes, okay. yes. It's true. When that uh-huh. kind of stuff happens, what's going to provoke change? Uh-huh. When you look at the NBA, when Commissioner David Stern, God rest his soul, took over the NBA in, in, in
0: 1982,
1: yes. uh, the NBA was on tape delay. And it was the drug-infested league. Uh, So you had those kind of problems. And in order to get themselves mainstream, they needed the cooperation of the athlete in order to pull it off. It was magic. Bird being marketed. And then after that, Jordan took it to another level. And then here comes Kobe and Shaq and all of that other stuff. And so you needed a partnership with the players because remember, they're not wearing helmets and shoulder pads and you can't disguise their identity. They have a direct intimate relationship with the viewing audience.
0: Also, Stephen A., people like Casey Jones won a world championship, you know, black coach, head of the Celtics. Someone like right. Lenny Wilkins was one of the most prominent coaches back in the day, Black right. head coach. Right. So black Blacks were given head coaching jobs back then, too, you know.
1: Because, but because they were willing to transition from right. player to coach, and the NBA was receptive to that. Yes. To show that, you know what, our players are better products than what you realize. They right. are people you can work with. You can that expand you, that. Yes. You can ingratiate with the American folks. You can invite them into your homes, et cetera, et cetera. And right. they went about successfully pulling that off. The NFL never had to. Because again, the helmets, the shoulder pads, the absence of an identity and a personal relationship with the audience, they could literally pick and choose three dudes to market to promote the sport. (laughs) And outside of that, simply ride the wave of having 16 games, 16 regular season games per year on a weekly basis. There was no Thursday night football at the time. It was Sunday and Monday night football. And so when you had that going on and the league ultimately gained its traction and its cachet, well, you've got 32 teams but 31 have white owners who are billionaires. And then there's one uh, minority owner from Pakistan.
0: You know right. what I mean? <laughs> right, right,
1: right, And or Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Yeah. Stuff like that. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? We don't have to change. And how do they ensure it? They've never diversified their ownership. In, in the NBA, you have Bob Johnson, former boss of BET, owning the Charlotte Bobcats. And then ultimately... He passed, you know, he allowed Michael Jordan to buy the team from him. Right. That was the plan all along. And so as a result of that, you could do that. The NFL, it costs more to get in. Most black folks don't have that kind of money. And sure. even the one, the few who do, they have to let you in. That's a good old boys club. You don't get into any of these leagues as an owner, unless the board of, owner of governors, which consists of the owners of each team for the respective league, mm-hmm. unless they let you in. And they don't let you in because they're not trying to give up ownership themselves. And the only reason why Bob Johnson pulled it off in the NBA. Bob Johnson went to the University of Illinois. He had a relationship with Jerry Colangelo, who owned the Phoenix Suns, and there's been a fixture in the NBA since the 60s, but he also went to Illinois as well. And so he knew Jerry Colangelo. They had a relationship. And this group led by Larry Bird had like 14 different dudes, Larry, and they (laughs) Uh were ready to buy the that podcast franchise. But the board of governors had determined the price tag was 300 million. Remember, with the Board of Governors, if you buy a team, each of them gets an equal percentage Mm -hmm. of that fee. You see what I'm saying? That it costs to buy the team and they split it. So their number was 300 million. Well, Larry Bird then came up for like 250, 260. They were like short, but they're like, we'll get the money. We'll get the money because the NBA wanted to give Larry Bird a team to own. Absolutely. But But then Bob Johnson walked in and he said, I appreciate the greatness of Larry Bird. The last time I checked, this was a financial (laughs) transaction. Yes. He said, and here is my portfolio. And his portfolio was worth $1.7 billion. And so because he said, now where do I cut the check? They couldn't (laughs) resist. And they gave him him the team. It's that simple. That's how it goes down. The NFL, you can't do that because it's going to cost billions to buy those teams. That's right. And they have to let you in. And the NFL owners ain't trying to let anybody in. Yeah,
0: and and yeah. they'll is the problem. And there's no price to be paid for that as well.
1: There's no price because where are you going You're going to watch the NFL. Who's going to stop watching the NFL?
0: Exactly. Uh, we, lost, we lost the great Hank Aaron uh, last weekend. And you spoke eloquently about it the other day, Stephen A. And even just listening to you and just watching some of the coverage, you know, I'm old enough to remember Hank Aaron, of course, to remember when he hit that home run. It seems to me that I don't think Hank Karen gets the credit he deserves and is remembered and held in the esteem that he should be held in. Why do you think that is? Or do you not agree with that? Because I, I I honestly...
1: I'm not going to say, listen, John Chaney, the former great coach at Temple University, mm-hmm. um, I covered him from 1994 to 1997. Temple Owls. I love him. Yeah, I love the man dearly. And John Cheney used to call it the microwave society. That's what he'd call it. And he said, everything's about now. And so when you have a younger generation, if Hank Aaron had done what he did in 2000, 2010, 2020, it would Mm -hmm. be different. The problem was it happened in the 70s. And so when you look at what he did, 755 career, home run, lifetime batting, average of 305, slugging percentage, 555. The guy was phenomenal. No question about it. He's the home run king. He was so much more than that. Absolutely. But what you find yourself thinking when you think that he was so much more than that, you find yourself thinking about his hero, Jackie Robinson. Because Jackie Robinson integrated the sport. And had there not been a Jackie Robinson or Larry Doby, there would not have been a Hank Aaron. And so Hank Aaron acknowledges that himself. So now what that does is force us to compartmentalize and look at the home run king. Here's the problem. The steroid era comes about. Uh And so now you think about Mark McGuire, you think about Sammy Sosa chasing Roger Merritt's single season home run record in 1998 of 61 home runs and then you think about Barry Bonds, who ultimately was en route to the Hall of Fame doing everything that he did better than Mark McGuire, better than Sammy Sosa. But because he saw how those two individuals were being celebrated just because they hit home runs, he said, What well, the hell with it? If that's the criteria, I might as well do a little bit of it,
0: all right? Allegedly. And so as a result,
1: and as a result, he goes and He simply knocks it out the park. He eclipses Hank Aaron's all-time home run record. And from a statistical standpoint, he's that guy. Now, obviously, everybody looks at him and they don't view him uh, in the same deified fashion as they viewed Hank Aaron because Hank Aaron is loved by Major League Baseball, loved by former Commissioner Bud Selig, loved by all the historians that chronicle the sport or whatever. But what they don't understand is that the younger generation don't give a damn about that. Mm-hmm. They care about what they saw with their own two eyes. Right. They saw what Barry Bonds did. They saw the Mitchell Report and how there were 103 names on there. They saw a whole bunch of people being accused of it and never did what Barry Bonds did. So in their eye, combining that with the footage and what they visualize themselves because technology has allowed them to do so, those are the things in my mind that contribute. To Hank Aaron not receiving the level of adulation and appreciation that we obviously should accord him.
0: Do you think Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame? No. They'll <laughs> never let him in. They'll never let him? Or do you think he should be in? Or do you just think they'll never let him in?
1: Me personally, I think he should
0: be. Because yeah. I thought he was the Hall of Famer before the whole steroids
1: era. He right. was fen- he phenomenal. He was a 30 for 30 guy, 30 stolen bases, 30 home runs every single year. He was a gold glover. He was a phenomenal player. And I think that, and I, and, and I think a little bit differently than some other people would. I'm not as altruistic as about certain things as others are. Mm-hmm. I put him in a hall of fame with the asterisk next to his name about steroids ever. See what I'm saying? But I wouldn't deny him the Hall of Fame because there's plenty of people that did it that couldn't touch him. Couldn't right. touch him on their best day. Couldn't touch him. That's number one. But number two, and, and more importantly, here's the problem that I have. Major League Baseball made a lot of money.
0: That's exactly right. Thank you. Off of Barry Bonds when he was chasing all those home run records. That's exactly did you right. Money?
1: Did, you, did you give the money back?
0: Not only made money, Stephen A., saved Major League Baseball. Saved Major League Baseball. Well, I disagree with you there.
1: I disagree with you there. Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa saved right. Major League Baseball. That's what I mean. That whole... That's because right. 1994, the World Series was canceled, and then they came back That's four years right. later. People weren't receptive to baseball, and they saved baseball. But what I'm saying about Barry Bonds is, there's so much that Major League Baseball profited off of, yeah. and they always talk about denying somebody else something that they've earned. Yeah. but you didn't yes. get that money back. You didn't get that money back. The you know the 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 baseball the baseball aficionados covering this sport. Nothing but love and respect to them. They're my colleagues. They're my contemporaries. But those checks that you were getting every day, you had to go out and cover Gary, Barry Bonds. You give it back? Yeah. I don't I recall yeah. him giving it back. So if you took something from the era, why deny what he did? You yeah, can put I, an aspect and you can denote it, but you don't have to try to erase yeah. what he accomplished. I think
0: that's wrong. I honestly think it's overblown, personally. I think people can look back and say, wait, They're not letting these people in because they worked out better, (laughs) you know, because they had a
1: a way of getting stronger. Wait, They talk about the integrity of the sport and you got to take that into account, particularly when you're trying to influence a generation on the come up as to what things to avoid. But there is hypocrisy that comes with it. And those things need to be mentioned. If you ain't trying to give the money back or anything else you might have benefited from directly for the steroids era, then guess what? Don't deny them what they did during yeah. the steroids
0: era. Yeah, the hypocrisy is an issue. Yes. Why do you think many American blacks, especially young blacks, have abandoned baseball? Two reasons. Very, very
1: easy. Number one, it takes a team. It's not something you can do by yourself. Mm-hmm. And number two, money. Got to have a field.
0: Got to have gloves. It changed. Uniform. It used equipment. to be easier for kids to just pick up a game, play stickball, whatever you want to call it, but it's not the same, uh, not go the same any, go right?
1: To, go to any any disenfranchised community in America, you can find a basketball court a hell of a lot quicker yeah. than you can find a baseball field. And oh, by the way, the basketball courts don't even have nets.
0: Yes, right.
1: Yes. Just think about that. If you can't have nets on a basketball rim and have the courts throughout disenfranchised communities in the United States of America. Yeah. How hard is it going to be for you to have a field? Bats, gloves, balls, equipment, uniforms, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it's tougher. That has a lot to do with it.
0: The organizational structure of how baseball is presented to the youth these days, you have to, it takes money to be in it. It's almost all AAU or whatever it's called. And it doesn't exist the way that it used to exist where you could just pick up and play, right? baseball, you know, for
1: years they've prided themselves on doing a a good job by having uh, something called the RBI program. That's reviving baseball in the inner cities. That's what the RBI stands for. And there's been a plethora of players uh, that have played significant roles in trying to help promote the sport. But Major League Baseball and all parties concerned need to do a better job because the more activities you provide, the more it will take kids off the streets, Mm -hmm. the more it will them involved in organized uh, activities that will shield them from some of the other trappings that exist out there that can take them down the wrong tracks. And we got to understand as a nation that we're only as strong as our weakest link. Uh-huh. And if you don't look out for the weak, if you don't look out for our weakest link and you just throw them to the wolves and you abandon them, it will come back to ravage you as a nation. And I think we've seen evidence of that.
0: Stephen A., one of the uh, other uh, things we're seeing in sport right now in men's professional sports are women. Uh, we're seeing uh, women getting into the manor, into the executive ranks of baseball, which is exciting. We're seeing, mm-hmm. uh, is it is it Becky Hammonds? Is that her name? Uh, yep. San Antonio in, in basketball, Long. who actually sat in as the kind of head coach so with uh, with uh, probably Popovich, from that game on. Purpose. He, did that on purpose. <laughs> he did that on purpose. He did that on purpose. So Popovich good. got got uh, kicked out of the game and and she got to mm-hmm. lead that team. Are we going to see mm-hmm. more of this? This is interesting to me. Like this oh. is kind of all happening kind of at the same time. Well, what is your take on that? First of all, I love it. Um Yeah, I love it you, too, man think that there's an awful lot of women that are
1: incredibly qualified to do the jobs that they're doing. Where yeah. I jump off the bandwagon is when they try to engage physically. Like, for example, mm-hmm. I don't ever want to see a woman boxing a man. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see a woman in the UFC fighting a man, even though, you know what, there are some women out there that'll kick a dude's butt. We get all of that. <laughs> yes. I know that much. So we yes. understand that. But sure. I- I'm not, when when I think about pugilistic sports, I don't like seeing women involved in that at all. I just don't like it. I'm, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't cast. I wouldn't put uh, promote legislating laws to prohibit them from doing so. But I don't want to see women punching each other in the face. I don't want to see women, you know, uh, you know, fighting in the octagon and stuff like that. That's just me. But, <laughs> right. uh, but 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 I do understand. I certainly what I would adamantly be against is them fighting men. Um, I don't think yeah. that's cool. But there's an and obvious. As
0: Physical yeah, yeah. advantage and disadvantage there, yeah. right? And
1: I and I'm and I'm not a proponent of that. Plus, you don't want to give uh, men uh, you don't want to ever give men the license to believe that it's all right to be physical with a woman. To be quite honest, you don't want to do that. And so, outside of that, um, but when you think about them in executive positions. First of all, they're smarter than us. A lot of times, they're more composed than us. A lot of times, they're incredibly knowledgeable about these respective sports. They've had to go through trials and tribulations one couldn't even imagine most of the time. Uh, for them to get to that point, they deserve the opportunity uh, to showcase their skill sets. And you know, just like we have women in corporate America uh, doing uh, an incredible job leading companies, being executives, uh, pushing businesses forward, et cetera, et cetera. There's no reason on earth why they can't do the same in the sports world. So I support
0: it. I'm a fan of it. And I hope you see more of them. On the converse of that is women's professional sports, because it's interesting. Women are almost getting more attention being a part of men's sports (laughs) than women in women's professional sports, like the WNBA, which got some more attention this year because of a lot of the other political stuff. is that on the rise, do you think? Do you think people are going to be embracing no. that type of thing more? Because I, I don't know where that's at. And, and, and why do you say no? And I, not only do I say no, mm-hmm. um, I'll tell you where the finger of blame
1: points to. Sure. The women, it's their fault. Somebody, men all over the country, scared to say it. Damn it, I'm going to say it. It's the <laughs> okay.
0: fault. Why and is let it the fault? Yes, please. <laughs> it's please. Why it's the
1: fault. Mm-hmm. You know this because of your work in television and in media. If you have women supporting you, tell me who loses. No one loses. When you have women supporting you, if you tap in to that demographic, you're winning. You're winning. I don't care what it is. Women, you you can have women voters. If you're a politician, you can have women, you know, supporting you in the world. You can have all of this stuff. If you have women supporting you, you will win. So. Why in God's name is the WNBA not winning? Men got the NBA. Yeah, we don't mind watching some elite championship action and all that. but on a night-in, night-out basis, uh-huh. men are going to watch the NBA before they watch the WNBA. Uh-huh. So who's it incumbent upon to support <laughs> the WNBA if uh-huh. you want the sport to grow? It's women. Uh-huh. They have to step up and support their own gender.
0: Why are they why do you because, think they're not interested?
1: Because they like the NBA. Because I promise you, if you compare the audience, and I haven't looked this up, in fairness to everybody else, I have not looked this up. But if you do your homework and I'm willing to bet my check that if you look at the female populace watching the NBA compared to the female populace watching the WNBA, you (laughs) will see that the NBA has more women watching its product than the WNBA has. And I'm saying, wait a minute here. It's about supporting them. Your ladies, just like their ladies, support them.
0: But could you argue also that there's a higher percentage of women that watch men's sports than men that watch women's sports? Why aren't men supporting women in the same numbers that women are supporting men? Because we are accustomed to the dunks, the high-flying acrobatic athleticism.
1: Yeah. That we're not <laughs> going to female yeah. sports. And not only that, habits die hard. The NBA has been around for over 50 years. We've been watching it. Yeah. And so as a result of that, listen, listen, I watch the WNBA when I can. You know, I saw school, and I saw what she did last year. Kobe Ray, God rest his soul, she, he raved about her. He raved yeah. about her. When he talked about his daughter Gianna, he was talking about how she's going to UConn. And then yeah. after that, she's going to the WNBA. Gino Auriemma is one of my favorite coaches of all time at UConn and what and what he's been able to do. Diana Taurasi, I love uh-huh. it. Maya Moore, I've seen these women perform. Sure. They're phenomenal. They're phenomenal. Yeah, you watch them, but at the end of the day, you watch them because they're elite and because they're great. Mm-hmm. Even when the NBA doesn't have LeBron James or Steph Curry or James Harden or Kevin Durant or somebody on the court, you still watch some other NBA game. That's it's interesting.
0: It's so interesting because I feel like it gets punished in a way where, like, tennis doesn't. Like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, no.
1: like oh, no. I men, prefer, men's I tennis. Prefer, I prefer, prefer so women's tennis over I men's do. tennis.
0: I do too, you absolutely. know. Absolutely, you know, and so women's tennis doesn't get punished being compared to men's tennis.
1: It's not just because of Serena and Venus uh, and Naomi Osaka. It's not just because of them. I used to watch it back in the day with Steffi Graf oh, and absolutely. Chris Everett Lloyd, and oh, I right. love absolutely. Women's tennis. Love women's tennis. women's women's tennis is far more attractive. And you know what else? Uh, women's college basketball can give men's college basketball a run for its money. I agree. Between Pat Summit and Gino Auriemma and Tennessee and
0: UConn. I mean, we used to love that stuff. And Stanford and Notre Dame. Stephen A., track and field is another example. Women's track and field has never suffered. You know, in fact, women's gymnastics is more exciting than men's gymnastics. Figure skating and all those things. You know, it seems like basketball is the one thing that gets punished. Pro basketball. Yes, pro, pro basketball. basketball. It's very because interesting.
1: Let me tell you something right now. People gonna watch you come. People gonna yeah. watch them. Tell you that right now. Back in the right. day, you watch. You watch. It's women's pro basketball. It's that one thing. Why, yeah, which is why I have no problem saying it's on you. Yeah, it's on you because guess what? Women watching those other sports. Yeah, men support it too. We like those too. But yeah. women support those sports as well. How come you're not supporting the WNBA? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I,
0: I, See, that is a pure Stephen A. take right there, you guys. I have never heard that take, but it's very, it's very interesting. Uh, Stephen A., uh, I know you uh, have limited time. I want to throw a couple of things at you real quick. We'll go through these real quick. And I appreciate you being here, my brother. You Guys, watch Stephen A's new show on ESPN+. Plus. It's very exciting. You got baby Stephen A <laughs> you know, making an appearance. Baby Stephen A is hilarious, by the way. He should do some full-on interviews. You shouldn't just be doing these interstitials. You know, I'll talk to him about it. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. We'll talk to him say. about it. Have a we'll conversation with baby, <laughs> with baby Stephen A. Oh, <laughs> some quick goat conversations. Real quick. Sure. Okay, Boxer, G-O-A-T. For me, is Muhammad Ali.
1: The game is mental as well as physical. And when you consider what he had to endure, in order to recapture the heavyweight championship in 74 against uh George Foreman when you consider what he went through and how he was pulled away from the game uh from from the fight game and ostracized the way that he did and some of the things he had to endure I'm going to always view Muhammad Ali as the greatest but um obviously I was a fan of like I was a huge marvelous Marvin Hagler fan yeah he was was great Ray Leonard fan I think that Floyd Money Mayweather may be the best defensive fighter we've ever seen, mm-hmm. um, but I, I mean, I go back a long ways with boxing. I used to love Salvador Sanchez.
0: Yes. I think he had yes. that accident
1: or whatever. But Salvador Sanchez was something special. You remember Aaron Pryor when he beat oh, Alexis yeah. Aguelo. Absolutely, I love yeah. Aaron Pryor. Yeah, you know, Roy Jones Jr. was absolutely spectacular. I yeah, thought he, he stayed around for the game too long, but Thomas love Really, good the hitman man. Tommy hitman. hitman Hearns, uh, all of these guys, man. And and now, believe it or not, my favorite, as much as I love Terrence Crawford, as much as I love Errol Spence Jr., uh, you look at the lightweight division now, especially with Javante Davis, Leo uh, Tiafimo Lopez, uh, Lomachenko, this kid Ryan Garcia, who's going to be on my show this week, Stephen A's okay. World, mm-hmm. you know, all of this mm-hmm. other stuff. But my favorite fighter right now. Is Saul Canillo Alvarez? Wow. I think he is. Alvarez. He's 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 something special. He's yeah. something special. He can take a punch. He damn sure can give it. I wouldn't advise anybody, <laughs> anybody, <to> the, <laughs> if you're undersized yeah. and you're interested in trading Uh-oh. punches. Yes. I would strongly advise you to avoid Canelo Alvarez. And I ain't going to yeah. leave out Mike Tyson because I loved him too and what he did for the sport. Van the Holyfield, Especially those guys. But Canelo, but Canelo Alvarez, and I love Triple G too, but Canelo Alvarez is something special. I would avo- I would advise strongly. And I love the Charlo brothers. Love yeah. the Charlo brothers. Mm-hmm. And the bigger Charlo uh, that's in the middleweight division, I just watched Canelo at the light heavyweight division the size of his neck yeah. And those punches he throws, I mean...
0: He's a big kid.
1: I would advise everyone,
0: anyone smaller, to stay the <laughs> hell away from him. Yes. Don't go near him. <laughs> That's what I would advise. I would just say very quickly, um, for everybody, go look at old uh, clips of Joe Louis. Um, he should never be left out of the GOAT conversation. Never. And politically, he had his politicism was in the ring as opposed to Ali's, which was outside of the ring. Yeah. You know? Uh, uh, basketball player, GOAT. Michael Jordan. Not Kareem?
1: No. Kareem, I mean, listen, the resume is the resume, 19-time All-Star, all-time leading scorer in NBA history, six-time MVP, six-time NBA champion. He's phenomenal.
0: Mm. Mm. Uh, the Ooh, only wait, oh. mm,
1: yeah. the only individual with an unstoppable move, the Skyhook, is the one lone unstoppable move in the history of basketball.
0: That, he, that all sounds
1: GOAT. All of that, that, that sounds great. For me personally, though, um, I'm partial to guard play because as a center, you have to rely on the pieces around you so much just to get you the ball. You have to rely on so many different things. And, you know, being seven feet two, I'm quite sure most people can't stick you, you know, and I get all of that. I just view Michael Jordan, the things that I saw from him, six time NBA champion, six time NBA finals MVP, uh, You know, nine-time All-NBA first-team defensive player, nine-ten-time scoring champion, all of that other stuff. I-, I mean, there were things he did that Kareem did not do. And so I look at Michael Jordan as the greatest. And LeBron, and LeBron, believe it or not, I got LeBron at number two.
0: Okay. I, you, you can't have LeBron over Kareem, Stephen A. I think you know that, right?
1: Well, again, I don't know that. And I don't know that evening. because I think about... When you look at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I think you look at individualism and you understand how phenomenal he was. I'm sorry, how many
0: championships?
1: LeBron has four.
0: He's been in the finals
1: 10 times. Kareem has six, but I will remind you, he only had one until he joined up with Magic. Remember that.
0: Yes. Yes. LeBron. (laughs) LeBron was
1: that guy. LeBron was that guy. I got to give it to him. I got to give it to
0: him. Mm, Okay. Uh, last one, uh, who's going to win a Super Bowl and NBA championship and then we'll let you go?
1: You gotta bet your money on the Kansas City Chiefs because of Patrick Mahomes with Tyreek Hill, who is the uh, I mean, he's sensational. Travis Kelsey's a future Hall of Fame tight end. Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy calling the offensive plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. They just look like a juggernaut. If anybody can derail them, it's Tampa Bay with that offense, having Antonio Brown. Hopefully he's back. That defense. Healthy didn't play yesterday. That defense, Todd Bowles put on the show yesterday. Um can't ignore that. Um, but in the end, I I just look at Kansas City as being a juggernaut right now. And how are you going to stop them? Do you know that when Kansas City played Tampa Bay in a regular season, Tyreek Hill had seven receptions, two touchdowns, and 203 yards in the first quarter? in the first quarter. Yeah, that's crazy. How the hell are you going to stop him? I know, he he's amazing. He finished the game with 13 receptions for 269 yards. But how are you going to stop him? That's a legitimate question. So I look at it from that perspective, and I just say that, listen, can Tampa beat them? Sure. But if I had to bet my money, I wouldn't bet against Patrick Mahomes. Not in this game. And so that's where I'm at with it. The NBA, Lakers. Lakers are the prohibitive favorites. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it's not because of LeBron James, even though I expect him to give you what he gives you. It's because of Anthony Davis. I agree. Listen, Kevin Durant is lethal. He's something special. James Harden and, and Kyrie Irving. you'll need all three of them. They don't play defense. I don't know why they hired Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni if you knew defense was going to be an issue. <laughs> yes. Neither of them ever cared about it. But yeah. but I, I respect the hell out of Steve Nash. Mike D'Antoni is innovative offensively. But you got to be able to defend. And Anthony Davis can do both. He can give you 30 Plus, he can give you 15. Plus, he can block about three to five shots and patrol that paint area. The Lakers are the prohibitive favorites. And I think I'm going to keep it that way until somebody knocks them off.
0: Yeah, and I predict Brooklyn won't make it to the finals. Teams are going to be too hungry and going to play better defense when push comes to shove. As great as KD is, and he is great, I think their weaknesses are going to be too glaring when, when it comes, push comes to shove.
1: You might be right. What I would say to you is that I can't bet my
0: money. Yeah, you can't bet your money. I agree with that. Not against Kevin Durant, unless you're going up
1: against LeBron and Anthony Davis. There's no one in the East that has an answer for Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving all shoot better than 85% from the free throw. I know. It's Don't
0: nasty. It's nasty. They will make free throw. Guys, Stephen A. Smith, he is the best out there. Thank you so much, Stephen A., for doing what you're doing. I'm always watching you. I'm always listening to you. And uh, we. I just want you to know as a black man who's in the media and everything, I appreciate you, and my brother, so much. I just want you to know that on a personal Thank you, basis. man.
1: I appreciate you as well. Thank you so much for your time and just make sure. Tell everybody, Stephen A's World, ESPN Plus, every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and
0: Friday. Check it out, you guys. And how about them Cowboys? We got to get them oh. back in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we got to get them winning again next year so Stephen A can get riled up. They won't be
1: worse once Dak Prescott gets it back. <laughs> that much have been promised.
0: Exactly. So check out uh, Stephen A's World, you guys, uh, on ESPN Plus and him all over uh, sports Thanks again, Stephen A. Thank you, man. Take care yourself. You too.